Thank you, Jesus. Well, um, let me ask you a question here. Does the God who created the world know who I am? Or make it personal, does the God who created the world know who you are? Um, Many of us in here may answer yes, but I believe many people in the world would probably say no, and at least not in a personal way. Um, most people don't think of God knowing them in a, in a personal way. Many believe that God is too busy, God is too big, God's too distant, and God's too high and mighty to be concerned about little or me. And how do we see ourselves in the eyes of God? How do, how do we see ourselves? Well, many of us, we see ourselves as sinners, which we are. The Bible tells us that for all have sinned. We see ourselves as unworthy. Many of us see ourselves as fallen short. We failed. We've, we've fallen short of what God has called us to do. Many of us see ourselves as not being good enough. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough for God to accept me, for God to, to know me, for God to, to love me. And really, and I've said this before, the enemy, the devil, has done a great job of deceiving the world of who God really is and who we really are. And you've probably said this before, you've heard someone say it, that God is the man upstairs. You, you probably heard somebody say that. And what, what does that imply? Well, that's implying to me that someone thinks that God is so high and mighty and he's so far away from me that he's not concerned about me. He doesn't know who I am, doesn't know my needs. He's not concerned about my problem. He's the man, he's the man, up, he's the man upstairs. When you read the Bible, you really discover he's the man downstairs. Jesus came down, the Bible says, from heaven. He came down to earth. But man has also, I believe, contributed to the dilemma that we face when not really understanding who God is because of man-made religions, religions that man have come up with, and we've placed uh, rules and regulations on ourselves that really the Bible never meant for us to, to, to have. And we feel like we have to meet certain expectations because of what man said, not what the Bible says. So we have a part to play in that, I believe, in the deception. So when we sit back and we ask ourselves, how do we really discover who this God, this creator, really is? And how do we discover, how does he see me? How do I fit into the picture? Where do we go? We go to the Bible. We go to the word of God, the truth, the word of God. It says it there. And the Bible if you read it, it really gives two fascinating perspectives. The first one is it tells the truth of who the Lord really is. It paints the picture of who God really is, and then it tells us the truth of how that God sees us. How we, and really, the Bible, if you read the Bible, you'll see the Bible was written for us. It was, it was a love story that God was written, that God was doing a, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, God was writing a love story all the way to Revelation showing the world he, how he was going to redeem mankind back to himself. What a, what a story. What a, what, a, what a word to want to read. Something that God has done for us. But look what the Bible says about God. And this is just a few scriptures. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Most of the world wouldn't see God like that. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. Other places in the Bible, it tells us his mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness reaches to the heavens. His loving kindness is everlasting. That's what the Bible says about God. Ezekiel says in chapter 18, 
Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? See, many people believe that God is excited and happy to punish the wicked, that that gives God joy. But Ezekiel here tells us God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Will the wicked suffer? Yes, they will suffer judgment, but the Bible says it will be because they rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So um, the, the Bible paints a completely different picture of who, God, of, of who God is. So how does the Lord see us as his creation? How does God see, see uh, mankind? Thank you, Jesus. We're going to shut that phone down in Jesus' name. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John 3.16 and 17, most of us know John 3.16 by heart. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So these two scripture verses right here paint a pretty good picture of how God sees us. The first thing it says, for God so loved. God, God loves the world. God, God loves us. And then John 3.16 says, and God gave. So God loves us. And then God took it a step further. He demonstrated his love, the Bible says, by doing what? By sending his only son to die for us on the cross of Calvary. So um, the, the Lord loves us. God gave his son for us. He's not condemning us. God wants everybody to experience eternal life. That's the plan of God. That's the plan that God has for us. Jesus, if you read the Gospels, Jesus gave us the complete picture of God. I always tell people that. If you, you know, people say, well, I wish I could know God and understand. Look at Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh, the Bible says. You remember one of the disciples asked Jesus, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Now, words, Philip wanted to, wanted to see who God was. And guess what Jesus told him? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was telling Philip, I am God in the flesh. So what does that do for us? Well, that makes me step back for a moment, and then I can look, and I can really get a, a, a real picture of who God is by looking at the life of Jesus Christ. Um, I believe the world as a whole has a, has a genuine desire to know God. They, they don't really know how they can know him in a personal way, but I think they really want to know God, the, um, the creator of everything that is seen and that is unseen. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is, is God in the flesh. The Bible says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. So again, if we want to see the Father, look at Jesus. So um, when we look at Christ and the, 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 the picture that the gospel paints of who Jesus is when it comes to how he related to the world, to, to sinners, when I look at Jesus' life, Jesus loved the sinners. He, he mingled with the sinners. He ate with the sinners. He embraced sinners. He arm in arm with them. He, he went to their house to have dinner, and Jesus was with the sinners. So for someone to say that God is upstairs and he's not concerned with me, they're not reading the Bible. You're not reading the Gospels. That's not the Jesus I see. The only people that Jesus really had a lot of anger toward was the religious, because they were the ones that claimed to know God, yet rejected who Jesus Christ was. So um, if you really want to get a good picture of God and us, you need to read the Bible. 
But many people, I believe, see themselves and their situations as hopeless. They, they, especially the world that has never been introduced to God. They don't know who God is, who, who Jesus is. And, but they, they don't know that with God, your life and your situation is never beyond God's reach. Amen. Doesn't matter how far away you are, how far away you think you are, it's never too far away, the Bible says, that God's arm cannot come down and reach and save you. So I titled the message today, A Dead Dog Like Me. And it'll make sense when I share the passage we're going to look at. But it's a dead dog like me. This is part one. If you want to hear the whole message, you're going to have to come back next week and listen to part two. Um, that's like a little teaser, I guess, like they do with the commercials and all with the movies and everything. But, but I was, as I was studying the passage, I was trying to get it all squeezed in into one message. And the Lord said, don't try to squeeze all that in. Take your time and really, really expound and share on what, the, what it is this passage, this passage is sharing is. But, you know... Um, that's really the message of the gospel. The Bible says that all of us are dead in our transgressions. We are dead in our sins. We, we don't see ourselves as dead because we're breathing, we're talking, we're walking, we're doing all these things, but the Bible says we're dead in, in our sins. We're, we're lost and separated. We're lost and separated from God, but the Bible says we are made alive in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. And that's the message of hope that we went to share yesterday in that, in that, in that neighborhood is that um, we went to proclaim that there's hope in Jesus Christ. That no matter what it is you're facing in your life, Jesus can give you hope. Jesus can rescue you. Jesus can come, come to your life and to bring you, to bring you hope. So we, we spoke the truth of Jesus, and it was a privilege. And, um, you know, I walked away yesterday and actually feeling fun. It was, it was fun what we did. And it really was. I mean, the people came enthusiastic. Um, Sister Denise and Sister Colleen was on the other side of the street where we were walking. And you know, Pastor Denise, she's just full of energy and she's just walking up to everybody and Jesus this and all of that. And it was just like, you know, I'm looking around as a pastor. Imagine what that feels like as a pastor. And you're watching your church spread out in a, in a, in a subdivision sharing Jesus. That's pretty cool. You know, so I walked away feeling like this is fun. You know, I mean, I, you know, I kind of like this. So it makes you want to do it again. And, uh, and actually, the, the, I believe a spirit of evangelism will come upon us when we do things like that. I had a neighbor that, that I invited. We, he didn't come this morning. He texted me and said he wasn't going to be able to make it. But um, he, we've talked before, but I've never really had a chance to reach out to him. And so I, well, I saved one of the bags and I walked across the street with it and I gave him the bag, and I said, I want to invite you to come to church tomorrow. So he came over to my house. He wanted to look at something that I, that I had did around my property that he wants to do at his house. So before he left, I just told him, I said, you know, um, I invited him to come to church. And he said, well, you know, I'm really not that religious. And I said, well, I said, you don't need to be religious. I said, I said the church that we go to is not, um, we're not even a denomination. We're, we're, we're non-denominational. And I said, really, what we speak and what we preach is not a religion. We preach Jesus. And I just began to open up the gospel to him and just to explain to him. And he really was, I told my wife this, he was very sincere. And I wish everybody was like this. Because so many people, when you come to them and witness, they like to try to tell you, I'm, I've done this, I'm all right. But he was just dead honest. He didn't know. Doesn't, he didn't know the Bible, didn't know Jesus, didn't know church, all that kind of stuff. And so I just began to present the gospel, began to kind of share with him that we're all sinners, that Jesus is the only way that we not can be saved, the Bible says, in which we must be saved. 
And um, I invited him to come. I believe he's going to come. I'll try to get him plugged into a life group. But um, I just felt a, an emptiness. But it was really, I just felt that spirit, like when, you, when you're kind of in that atmosphere of sharing the gospel, then you kind of feel like, I want to go reach the world. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, a, it's a fun feeling. So then I think all of us that came, that's what we were doing. We were sharing the light, the, the, the light of Jesus. So, but the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel records a story that illustrates God's redeeming love for you and me. And um, it's a fascinating story. And I'm going um, to read it here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It says, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is, he is at the house of Machar, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machar, son of Amiel. When Meshibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Meshibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table." Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land and him, for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for and Meshibosheth, grandson, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Meshibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Meshibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Meshibosheth. And Meshibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. And that, to me, is just one of those stories that stand out in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And um, I've said this to the church before, but you've got to fall in love with God's Word. You've got to fall in love with the Word of God because there is so much rich stories like this that you'll never discover if you don't read the Bible. And, um, and I've said this before, I'll just say this real quick. If you want to really fall in love with the Bible, get a one-year Bible. It's a Bible that takes you systematically through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's, it's categorized out on every day of the year, and it allows you to, it forces yourself to read the entire Bible. And there's stories like this that maybe some of you have never read that you will discover, but it's just, just, just remarkable. But to really get an understanding of what this story is all about, you have to understand the things that happened before this. Saul, or King Saul, he was the first king that was appointed in the nation of Israel. 
And the Bible says that after the Lord had appointed Saul to be king, that God had regretted that he had appointed Saul to be the king because Saul was disobedient. He was not, he was not faithful to God's, God's instructions. So the Bible says that God regretted making Saul the king of Israel. If you read the story, David came onto the scene, and most people don't realize it, but David was anointed the king of Israel while Saul was still king. Matter of fact, David was anointed Israel's king before David killed Goliath. And most people probably don't realize that. So, um, and, and, and the Bible says when Samuel went to go and anoint David as king, Samuel was afraid because Samuel told the Lord, if, Sam, if Saul finds out that I'm anointing someone else as king while he's still on the throne, he's going to kill me. And God said, don't worry about that. I got, I, I got all that covered. You're, you're fine. So, so, so Saul, Saul was king of Israel. David was anointed as the king, but he had not, he had not taken the position of the, of the king yet. Uh, David and Saul at one point had, became, had, had, had become close. But if you read the life of Saul and David, Saul began to become jealous of David. And Saul recognized that David was, that the Lord was tearing away the kingdom of God from, from Saul, and he was giving it to David. Saul recognized that. And toward the end of Saul's life, Saul tried to have David killed. There were several occasions where he sent an army of men to try to have, to try to have David killed, and David was always able to, to outsmart him on two occasions. Um, David was able to find out where Saul was, and if David wanted to, David could have killed Saul. But the Bible says that even though David knew that Saul was trying to kill him, he remained faithful because to Saul because Saul was still the king of Israel. That's a, that's a, that'll preach in itself, that David was that faithful, knowing that someone was trying to kill him. So here we have the story here. David and Jonathan, which, which Jonathan was Saul's son, they became very close. They were, they, were, they, were be, they were best of friends, and there was even at one point where, where the Bible says Jonathan warned David that, yes, my father is indeed trying to kill you. You need, you, you need, you need to flee. And Jonathan, of course, he understood what that meant. He's the, he's the king's son, and, and, and really he's the heir, heir of the throne. But Jonathan also recognized that the Lord was with David. He wasn't with, he wasn't with Saul. So now and David had made a promise to Jonathan that he was, was going to protect his lineage, his, his family, that, because David could have retaliated. That's what, if you read the kings, of, the kings that, that followed David, that's what they did. If somebody did anything wrong to them, uh, when, when that king died, they went and killed all the king's family members. Like they got vengeance on what was happening. But David made an oath or a promise to Jonathan that he would not, that he would not do that. He would preserve and protect. He would preserve and protect his family. And um, so this story in 2 Samuel, this is not, it's not a parable. And we know the parables Jesus taught. And parables, and if you, you know a parable, a parable is a, it's not a, it's a, it's a story of a real life event, um, but it, it has a spiritual meaning behind it. In other words, there's a, there's a real life event that Jesus is sharing in the parable, like the parable of the sower, the farmer's casting the seed. That, that's a real thing, but there was a spiritual teaching that was underneath that. Well, this story is not a parable, but it has a lot of characteristics of parables. And, and that's what I'm reminded of when I read this, is, is as if I was reading a parable. And, we, and, and, and I believe in this story, David represents God. He represents the Lord. And Mephibosheth, he represents who? That's us. You know, we're, we're, we're Mephibosheth. So let's, let's look at this story and break it down. I, I want us to look at what 
does this story show us about God? What does it show us about God? 2 Samuel 9.1, it says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So the first thing that we see here is God is reaching. God is reaching. David said, is there anyone still left? David wanted to be sure that there was nobody left out from the promise that he had made to Jonathan that I was going to do good and bless the household of Saul and, and of Jonathan. See, God the Father is constantly reaching out to us. God's reaching out to you this morning. Some of you might not even realize it. You say, well, I don't, God doesn't even know my name. He doesn't know who I am. Yes, he does. And I believe that God is always reaching out. God is always reaching out to us. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus came for. He came for us. He, he came for the sinner, the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's knocking at the door of our hearts, and the Bible said if anyone will open up, the Bible says if we open up the door of our heart, guess what God will do? He will come in, the, the Bible says, but we have to invite him to come in. But God is constantly knocking. God is he's reaching, he's searching, he's seeking for the lost. That's what, that's, what God, that's what God does. See, God is not at a distance unaware of our needs. He's close to us. The Bible says he is, he is as close as the words in our mouth that if we would just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, God will save us. That's how close God is, that if we would just speak the name of Jesus, God will come in and God will change us and God will save us. See, God wants us back. That's the beautiful story of the Bible. Yes, Adam and Eve, they messed up. They messed up bad. That one decision that they made to sin, the Bible says, affected every human being that was born. We are all born of Adam. But thank the Lord, there's a second Adam. His name is Jesus. And the Bible says everybody born of him is saved, and the curse is broken in Jesus' name. So God is not at a distance. He's aware of our needs. God is close to us. It doesn't matter how far away you, see, you, you seem from him. His love is constant. God's love never changes for us. He's constantly calling us back unto himself. God is searching for you even when you are not searching for him. That's what I love about that. The Bible says when we come to Christ that we did not choose God, but God chose us. God, that means God was looking for me. God was calling me. God was calling me un, unto himself, the Bible says. If you read the story of Mephibosheth, it says nowhere does the story mention that he was looking for David. I believe that he was probably hiding from David because he recognized that he was part of Saul's family. And he recognized that this was King David and my grandfather was trying to kill this man. So I don't think he wanted anything to do with David. And the Bible says nowhere where he mentioned that he was looking for David. But it doesn't matter how low we go or how far away we go, God's love can still find us. God's love can still reach us. See, God has not forgotten you. No matter what you're dealing with this morning, God has not forgotten your situation. God sees you, God knows you, God loves you. God, God has not forgotten you. See, Mephibosheth, no doubt, he felt alone and abandoned and forgotten. Some of you in here might feel like you're just, you're abandoned. God has left you alone, that God, God has forgotten you. The Bible says that God will never leave us or forsake us. That's God's promise in his word. And, you know, yesterday when we went, um, we were just kind of sharing at the end, you know, how everybody's 
went because we were all spread out and we didn't get to see what was happening in the subdivision. So I'd, I'd like to come back and get everybody's feedback on what, what happened. And Pastor Denise had shared that for the most part, every door that we went to, the people were extremely friendly. They, were, they, they wanted to hear what we had to say. They took the gift bag, but there was one place that Pastor Denise had went to that, that as soon as, I think y'all mentioned church, Sister Colleen or whatever, he was just like, I don't want to, he didn't want to hear what y'all had to say. So they left the gift bags and they left. And, you know, I told him, I said, you don't know what that man was dealing with. Like, we don't know what he's dealing with. And we say, well, that was a waste of time. He didn't want to hear what we had to say. I believe that after we leave a, 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 an encounter like that, God is dealing with someone like that. And you don't know what it was that was happening in, the, in that man's world that, that all of a sudden someone just out of nowhere just shows up at his front door and maybe confirms something that it is that God is trying to speak to him. I believe that with all my heart. So, so we're, we're just going and we're just, sharing, we're just sharing the love of Jesus. So if anything, hopefully, you know, when we left and he got into his house and was getting ready for bed last night, he remembered that, you know what? Somebody cared about me. That, that's never met me before. They don't even know who I am. They took the time out to come pray with me and come do Even though I rejected them, he, he, he remembered that someone cared. So, so that's really what we're doing is we're, we're sharing the love of Jesus. So, but there may be somebody here today you feel abandoned. You know, in life, life has a way of doing that. We, we, we come across things in our life that, that are unexpected. Some of the things, maybe decisions that we have made, but sometimes it's things that choices we didn't make, things that we had no control over, and life has a way of kind of, kind of putting us in a tailspin, so, so to speak. But I'm here to tell you that God has not left you. God sees you. Psalms 36 says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. See, you, like Mephibosheth, may think that you are outside the reach of the Lord. I'm here to tell you God can reach you. Doesn't matter what you're facing, God, God, God can reach you. Then it says here in uh, 2 Samuel 9, 3, it says, The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. The next thing I want to see is God is removing. God is removing. The, the exchange here between David and Ziba I find intriguing. David asked Ziba, is there anyone left in the household of Jonathan that I can still show God's kindness? That's, all, that's the only question he asked. And Ziba thought it was necessary to not only tell him it was Mephibosheth that was still left, but what did he also tell him? He was lame. He was lame in both feet. Now, the story doesn't say why he said this, but you've got to remember, David was the king, and these were, all, they were, these were all David's servants. So anything that you did wrong with the king, your head could get chopped off. You, you, you could be killed. So i got to think that, that Ziba realized that I'm going to mention this Mephibosheth to David, but I'm also going to tell him that he's lame because if something happens and he approaches the, the king in that condition and say he's rejected for whatever reason, I didn't tell the king this was his, conduct, his condition, he might come back and kill me. That, that, that's, that's just what I surmised from that, from that story. But I just thought it was interesting that he, he thought it was necessary to tell King David, and oh, by the way, he, he, is, he is lame. He is lame in both feet. And if you read the, um, the, the, the first and second Samuel, those two books really give the story of King David and and King Saul and Jonathan and everything that we're talking about here. But, but um, uh, 
Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. Why was he lame? Well, the Bible says when he was five years old, the news had come to the house where he was staying at that Jonathan and Saul were both killed. And the Bible says that, that, that his nurse, the nurse ran and picked up Mephibosheth in such a hurry that the Bible says as she was walking out the house, the Bible says she dropped him and he became lame in, his, in both feet. Now, I, I found that interesting. This isn't part of the message, but a five-year-old child is, is pretty healthy size. And I got to think this nurse wasn't real tall. So I'm trying to figure out, and I, I'm not joking about this. I really mean this. The Bible says she, she picked the child up at five years old. I'm guessing she's carrying the child and she's running out. Um, what had to happen for him to fall in such a way that he would become crippled in both feet? At that age, falling from, I'm not thinking like a really, so like, again, it doesn't give the details. I just, that's the kind of stuff in the Bible. When I'm reading the Bible, like, I, I got to know everything. I, I want to know. And I don't know what, what happened there, but it, it, to me, it's intriguing. He's five years old. I'm you're thinking of a five-year-old child. But anyway, he was, he was lame. He was lame in both feet. So, um, so um, here he is. He's before, he's before King David. So um, you and I, when we look at the story, you and I, we may not be crippled physically, but we're crippled spiritually. We might not be coming here, and I, I got to think he was probably on crutches. I don't know what, if he's lame in both feet. I can't imagine him being able to walk correctly, you know, without some kind of help or some kind of wooden crutch or something that would, that, that would support him. So, but when we look at our lives, we, we may not be crippled physically, but we are crippled spiritually. That's our condition that we're in. We're, we're just like Mephibosheth. We're, we're, we're crippled. We're, we're lame before God. We are, we, we, we are lame before God. And again, the Bible says we are, we are dead in our sins, and the weight of sin can leave scars of rejection, can leave scars of shame, scars of guilt, scars of remorse, scars of unforgiveness. And this condition can leave us feeling unworthy of God's love and acceptance. We, we don't realize that, but sometimes the things that we've done in our life or what, we've, what has happened can make us feel unworthy. So think of, think, think of this. By David calling Mephibosheth in his condition, David was removing the shame and rejection that he felt. Because here he was in an obscure place, probably somewhere that was that was hidden away from society, away from the world. He was, you know, lame in this condition. And now the Bible says he is brought, he is brought before the king. And, the, and he's standing before the king. And the, David, he's standing before him. And David is not, like, rejecting him. David is removing. Imagine that from that very moment, he, the, 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 the shame and the guilt and the remorse that he felt from his condition and all that had happened with his family. By David approaching Mephibosheth, David was removing all the guilt and all the stain and all the shame. From, from, from his life. See, our condition did not prevent the Lord from sending Jesus Christ to us. See, we think, well, we're bad, we're sinners. Yes, we're all those things. But guess what the Bible says? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was people always say, you ever, you ever invite somebody to church and say, well, um, I got to get, get right. I, I, I got to get right. I got I to gotta, I gotta be good enough. I got to i got to act, act in the right way, and then I know God will, God will receive me once I get my act together. No, God came for the way you were. That's how Jesus came. While we were still sinners, the Bible says, so God accepts us just the way we are. All the scars, all the failures, all the shame, all the guilt, all the remorse, all the things that we've done wrong, God, God, God accepts us in that condition. 
See, God didn't wait for us to become right. God came just the way we were. Just as David was calling Mephibosheth and had removed his shame, when we come to Jesus, our guilt and remorse is removed. Thank you, Jesus. See, there's, there's no more shame. There's no more guilt. The, all, all of that, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says our sin has been removed. Because of something I have done? No. Because of Jesus. Because of the work on the cross. Look at Isaiah 1.18. It says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I love that scripture. In the Baptist church, that was a chorus. We used to sing that song, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Another translation says, Come now, let's get this settled. Those God is saying, let, let's, get this, let's, let's reason this thing out. You're a sinner. I'm God. I'm holy. And I'm forgiving you. All your sins are being removed. Let, let's reason this thing out. Don't you see what I've done for you? That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Just as all that shame and guilt was removed from Mephibosheth, God has removed that shame and that guilt that sin has placed on us because of the cross of Calvary. That's what, God, that's what God has done for us. So we see the first thing that God is reaching out to us. Just as he was reaching out to Mephibosheth, he is removing the shame and the rejection from you, just as he did, and he has, and he has, removed, and has removed those things, same things for us in Christ Jesus. And the next thing I want us to see is in verses 6 and 7. It says, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. The next thing we see here is God is receiving. God is receiving David, David had Mephibosheth brought before him. And remember, David, David was a king. This was King David. Now, he's being brought. Now, Mephibosheth probably didn't know what it was that he was being brought before the king for. I got to think he probably thought it was something bad. And, what, and, and David, told, David told Mephibosheth what he said. Don't be afraid. Now, if he said that, that means that, that he was showing some kind of fear, like any of us, any, any of us would have shown but imagine what those words sounded like to him when he was actually welcomed by the king. And King David told him, don't be afraid. I love that. And that's what God says to us, don't be afraid. God is like, I'm welcoming you to come. I've, I've sent my son to die for you. We don't need to approach, we need to approach God in reverence and awe and respect, but we don't need, do need to approach God in a way that I'm afraid of God. No, God loves us. God, God loves us. God, God receives us just as he did Mephibosheth. So um, we are welcomed by God through his son Jesus. God, God is inviting us to come to Jesus. That's the invitation. That, that's the, the year of the Lord's favor that we're in. I was sharing this with my, with my life group. We are, we are in the year of the Lord's favor. From the, from the time that Jesus Christ was resurrected, was, was crucified and resurrected, to the time that he returns, the Bible says we are in the year of the Lord's favor. What is his favor? It's his mercy and his grace. Amen. His mercy and his grace. The invitation is for whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, for us to come to him and to be saved. Revelation 4.1, John had a, had a vision. Look what he saw. It says, after this I looked, 
And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what, me- what must take place after this. You know what that verse tells me? is heaven's opened. There's an open door in heaven right now, and look what the invitation is. Come up here. I love that. See, God wants us where he is. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus Christ for us. So that's God's, that's God's invitation to us is to come, come to Jesus. See, and you, you might feel like you're, you're on my favorite shelf. You are, you are ostracized. You are isolated. You were, you know, cast out by the world. But this story shows us that God, this is God's redeeming love. That God, God has, a, has a plan of redemption to call us back. That it doesn't matter where we're at, what has happened in our lives, God wants to call us back and receive us unto himself. Amen? Amen. I'm going to have Ray just to come up, please, and to begin to play here. And, um, you know, I believe that somebody, this message is speaking to somebody here today. I don't know who it is. Again, I'm going to conclude this message next week, and I, I believe the rest of the story is better than the, better than the first part. It's, it's just it kind of builds on what God was doing for him, but it's really, again, a picture of what God, is, what God has done for us. But, but there may be somebody here today and you might feel like Mephibosheth in your life, that you, were, that you were isolated, that you were lonely, that God doesn't love you or God doesn't, is not concerned with you. I'm here to tell you God does love you. That God sees where you are and God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. So there might be somebody here today you've never... You've never received Jesus Christ into your life and confessed him as Lord and Savior. You've never welcomed him into your life and, be, and, and just confessed him and surrendered your life to his control. But you want to do that this morning. I, I want to pray with you today. If that's you, don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't be like Mephibosheth. He was, he was afraid to approach the king. There's no fear. Jesus is standing with his arms open wide, just like the Bible says. He's standing at the door of our hearts and he's knocking. And all he's wanting to do is just to come in and love you and forgive you and heal you and restore you and do all of those things for you. So if that's you this morning and you've, you've never confessed Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him, but you want to make that decision today, I want to pray with you this morning before you leave. So if that's somebody here this morning, just make your way up from where you are and come, come join me here in this morning and let me just pray with you this morning and encourage you. That, that Jesus can come and he can change your life. Amen.